You know I'm a Cowboys fan, and I'm working through that. I've been in therapy for 20 years now on that. But I read an obituary. There's an actual obituary in Dallas today. I read it this week. Um, I'm not sure what day it was. This man passed away on the 25th. I don't know if you may have seen this. It's been going around. But here's how his, uh, this man was uh, 87, almost 87. His name is Robert Clyde Drew. It says, Robert Clyde Drew, beloved husband, father, and papa, drew his last breath January 25th, mainly, we suspect, to prevent himself from having to watch the Patriots and Eagles in the Super Bowl. A loyal Cowboys fan, he died peacefully with his daughter by his, sign, by his side, knowing full well that Dez did indeed catch that ball. I don't know why I'm looking at Bill. Yes, I do. It goes on, but that was the most important part. How many of you, uh, how many of you have rules in your house? Well... Actually, I should really back this up a little bit because if you're uh, empty nesters and have no children in your home and you have rules in your house, that's I don't want to know about. But if you, let's say you, let's put it this way. How about in the home you grew up in, did you have rules in your house? Let me see. Can you give me some examples of what they were? Anybody? Go ahead. Some examples of those rules. No throwing balls in the house. No throwing, why would you say that? No throwing balls in the house. Okay. Was that a real problem in your house, Dan? Yeah. Throwing balls. Okay. 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 Yeah. Don't run in the house. No running in the house. Was that a rule in your house? No. Okay. Well, you're, I'd love to have seen some of you. What? Don't beat your brother. That's reasonable, I suppose. Yeah, it's a reasonable expectation. Anything else? Other rules? Yeah. Curfew. How many of you had a curfew growing up? Home for dinner. Yeah. How many of you remember when you, people would be all be home for dinner? Yeah. Um, how old are you? Um, what else? Anything else interesting? How many had the? How many of you think? Any of you think you had the weirdest house rule? Anybody? What? No snowballs in the house, or period. Or no snowballs in the house. Outside, they could be fluffy on the outside, ice packed on the inside, or the rock inside the ice, and it's perfectly fine. Okay. Okay. Put on a sweater. Okay. Yeah. We aren't going to turn the heat up, right? Okay. All right. Um, we had rules in our house, too, growing up. The one about don't beat your brother would have been a good one, actually. Um, just kidding. <laughs> that was awesome. If I'd thought to cue him, that's what I would have done right there. That's awesome. Um, mostly the biggest rule in our house was don't sass your mother. And uh, that's still pretty much in effect. <laughs> Drew's on fire today. <laughs> Most homes have rules, okay? Where you work, you have rules. You have some dumb rules at work? Anybody? Okay. Everywhere you go, where you interact with people, there are certain rules. Some are written. Most are unwritten. Some are spoken. Most are unspoken. Whatever your situation is, wherever you interact with people, there are rules. And the reason is, Whenever two or more people are together, somebody's got to give up an element of freedom. Because if you don't give up some freedoms along the way, there's going to be all kinds of conflict. And so for the sake of progress relationally, people have to give up freedoms in order to get along. 
So whatever the situation is that you're in, you know there are rules in every single environment, and the rules are there for peace relationally and for progress organizationally. So in the church, the expectations for behavior, the expectations for interpersonal, you know, those interactions, our rules, our house rules, if you will, are governed by this simple principle, if you want to know what the big one is. This is something we find throughout the New Testament in the teachings of Jesus and the writings of the apostles, that we are to treat each other in the church the way God has treated each of us in Christ. That's the standard. That's the expectation. We're to treat each other in a way that reflects the way God has treated us. Um, we talked about this a couple weeks ago when we were talking about the idea of staying in love, that in a marriage relationship, we're to love each other in the way that Jesus loves us. So in other words, what God is calling us to do, and this is tough, is to never lose our awe of what he did on the day that he redeemed us. If you're an impatient person and you lose patience with people, you need a good dose of understanding how patient God has had to be with you. If there are people that really, you really have a difficult time accepting, it really impacts your relationships and your interactions with them. It's because you have lost sight of what God had to do to accept you. And when we lose sight, when we lose our sense of awe at the invitation that we've received from our Heavenly Father, then it works its way into our relationships. And this is important because, um, you know, we often pray, God, we want to be a church that operates the way you've called us to operate. We want to be a church that rallies around not simply a mission or a strategy or a methodology or a building. In fact, you know, I think, or, or even we want to just be a bunch of people that are all kind of the same, but we want to rally around the fact that you have invited us into a unique relationship and we want to celebrate every time, we want to celebrate that every time we come together. So today we're going to talk about acceptance, specifically the biblical mandate to accept one another. The two most powerful forces on the human soul are acceptance and rejection. How many of you have found that to be true? One we move toward, the other we move away from. One we embrace, the other we find repulsive. But either way, that combination of acceptance and rejection shapes us. As you think about your childhood, as you think about the things that sort of hang on, the things that are left over from your childhood, either good or bad, as you think about people that you know who are very angry, generally angry people are people who've been hurt, and their hurt really stems from the fact that they've been rejected. The people that you know who are very balanced, like yourself, people that you kind of look up to, as you get to know their story, you might find that essentially they are the summit total of the acceptance and the rejection that they've received and experienced in their lives. It's a very, very powerful thing. And as you think about the struggles in your own life or in your own family or in your own marriage right now, if we were to sit down, and I'm no professional counselor, but I can pretty much help you get to the bottom line right now if you'd like, it's simply this, that if you're having problems in a relationship, it's because you're, you're getting either overt or, co or covert messages of rejection, and you feel rejected. And your husband or your wife might swear up and down that they're not doing it on purpose, but that's the message that's coming through. Every word, every action, Every nonverbal sends a message of either acceptance or rejection. And we get them all throughout the day, day in and day out. Our hearts are drawn toward environments of acceptance. All of us are. We are, we are just, we're wired that way and we are drawn in that direction. 
And we don't, always, we don't get to control our hearts. We control what we say and do, but our hearts just move towards environments of acceptance. That's why uh, some of you would rather be at work than at home. Because I know it didn't take long to really like, get in your personal space. Sorry about that. But you just feel so much more something at work than you do at home. When you think about going home at the end of the day, there's sort of this turmoil. And you, when you really get down to it, there's an environment at work that's just more attractive. And it often makes you feel more accepted. And you're able to lead and you're commended and you're encouraged and you're enabled and you're appreciated or whatever it is. <clears throat> and that's the reason many times why men and women fall in love with the people they work with. Because of the nature of work, there's a sense of acceptance. And this sense of acceptance, it's, it's nobody's fault, and sometimes people aren't doing it on purpose, but our hearts just gravitate toward environments of acceptance. That's why a teenager might want to spend more time and be more influenced by a friend than a parent. And the parents genuinely love and accept, but somehow their friends communicate acceptance in such a way that their hearts are just drawn in that direction. Acceptance is a powerful, powerful thing, and rejection is a powerful, powerful thing. Then there's this dynamic that some of you may be in this morning, and this is the most frustrating of all human relational struggles, and that is that you may be in a relationship where you're trying to earn the acceptance of someone who continually rejects you. You ever been there? I mean, you're just on all fronts, you know, I'm just trying to get this person to accept me. I'll do anything. And you get rejection after rejection. And this acceptance and rejection thing have a collision in the context of relationship, and it's just so intensely frustrating. What's frustrating to me is the whole, this whole idea that the, there is not really a one-to-one relationship between acceptance and rejection. Here's what I mean by that. In other words, if you do something to reject me, you can't just do one thing to accept me and we're even. You know that's true in your own life. Because if, no, if you reject me once, then you've got to do something that communicates acceptance of me like 10 times to get us just back on even ground. Because we feel that rejection, and it's such a heavy thing compared to acceptance. Uh, And we could go on and on and give different examples, and you could think about your childhood and your relationship with your father and your marriage and your boss, and we could spend lots of time on this acceptance-rejection thing. And in the middle of that chaos, if we don't have, uh, as if we don't have enough of our own things to deal with, God comes along, and he weighs in on this. And he says to us, through the apostles, he says, in the church... I want you to create an environment that's characterized by acceptance. In other words, God's mandate is I want you to develop the habit of so accepting one another that when people come in from all these dysfunctional environments, whether it's at work or at home or at school or wherever, that the one place that they can walk into and know for certain that they're going to feel and be accepted is the church. The church is to be unique that way. And people ought to be able to come to church and they... They may say, I don't believe all the stuff you believe, and I don't know the songs, and I can't find my way around the Bible yet, but I know this, that when I come into this place, when I'm with these people, I feel accepted. That's a challenging thing. Because you know something? We are better rejectors than we are acceptors. Gosh, it's, you know, it's my personality. It's my spiritual gift. It's a special skill I've developed. Part of this is because of sin. Part of it's because of our background. Some of it is, I mean, some of us are certainly better at this than others, but rejection tends to come very naturally. You notice that? 
And yet God says, I want you to turn that around. And I want there to be this one safe haven on earth. And I want it to be my church. And when people come into the context of church, whether it's in an environment like this or where there are a handful of uh, believers together, I want people to be accepted. I want to read a few verses from Romans chapter 15 if you want to look it up. We have the Bible app event today, and you can use your device, or you can look it up And if you have an old school paper Bible. Uh, the, Romans chapter 15, the Apostle Paul, how many of you ever heard of the Apostle Paul? I, was curious, I don't want to assume. Uh, you, you, you know, we don't look around the room, we don't know everybody's story, and so for some people, the Apostle Paul is, they don't really know much about him. He wrote this book, this letter to an actual church. This is a letter to a church, and uh, it was preserved for us, and we've been able to read it. And he talks to a specific church about some, some specific things, and then there's some principles in there that apply to all of us for all time. So he's talking in this passage in Romans 15 to church people about church people. Those are some of the best, some of the best conversations, some of the best words of uh, instruction and, and wisdom. I want to start at verse 5. And he kind of gives us a little bit of introduction. Romans 15, verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So basically saying, church, I want you to be unified. And we're all like, yeah, unified. I like that verse. Unified is a good thing. And then he says, here's how you're going to do it. Verse 7. Is that right? Verse 7. Or I don't know if I'm there yet. Accept one another then. Your Bible might say, depending on the version you're using, it might say, therefore, if you're going to be a church that's characterized by unity, you must accept one another. In other words, accepting one another is part of the church staying on track. It's part of the church staying on mission uh, and staying with its mission and accomplishing what the church is called to do. That's part of it. And in order for there to be unity, we must be an environment. We must create environments that accept one another. Let me tell you what the word accept means. The word accept um, simply means to receive. It means to take in. So let me, let me show you, this is kind of silly, but this is kind of what it means. Uh, Rick, if you want to stand up there, I want to show people what this means, okay? So, because we've rehearsed this many hours. This is, this is, are you ready? Uh, yeah. Okay. Sure. This, is, this is what acceptance means. Yeah, let's give her a hand. Let's give her a hand. Um, no, you hold on to that. That's acceptance. You can say it. Someone uh, comes your way for, that's a souvenir. I'll sign it later. That's, don't get on eBay right now and see if he's posted it yet, but that's acceptance. Someone comes your way for a relationship, and as they move your way, you reach out and you receive them. You take them in. That's what acceptance is. And the Apostle Paul says the church, in the church, when people come your way, and when you come one another's way, I want the habit, I want the tone, I want the characteristic of the church to be that people are received. They are taken in. Now, in a lot of environments, oh, hey, Rick, can you help me with something? Can you stand up there? In a lot of environments, it's like this. It's, it's like this. Um, and you can probably relate to this. It's kind of it's like this. Did you see that? Just let me show you again, just, just so everybody could see. It's just kind of like that. Like this, is so much, this is so much fun. Oh, go sit down. This is so much fun. Um, okay, there's rejection, and then there's, just, there's that. Um, yeah, I'm over it. Ever been in a relationship where you just bounce off? 
you move toward a person with the best of intentions, maybe to a husband or a wife, maybe one of your kids, maybe someone in the church, and you know, you're all geared up for a relationship and you're kind of doing your thing and it seems to be going in the right direction and they seem to be receptive, but boom, they don't respond and you just kind of bounce off of them. That's rejection. And what Paul says in this passage is that in the church there should be no bouncing off. That when a person comes in, regardless of their baggage and stuff, there should be no bouncing off. You can bounce off at work, you can bounce off at the club, you can bounce off at home, but in the church it's a whole different environment. It's like he says, I want this to be an environment where people are accepted, where they are received, where they are taken in. Oh, and then if that wasn't enough, look where he sets the standard. And this is consistent with everything you see in the words of Jesus and the writings of Paul. Verse 7, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. In other words, this isn't just accept each other the way you've seen other people accept each other. That's not the standard. It's like, I want you to imagine, think back, pull in all the verses in theology you know, and think about how you were accepted by God through Christ. Reflect on that kind of acceptance toward one another. So this isn't acceptance as we've known acceptance in our human experience. This is a whole new league of acceptance. And that's what we're going to find is that by setting the bar so high, he takes away all of our excuses and he takes away the excuses as to why we won't accept one another. And I think there are really a couple of points, two points of insight or application that we need to look at as we ask this question. What does it mean just as Christ accepted us? When Christ accepted you, what did that look like? And he gives us a couple points. I think the first one is when Christ accepted you, he accepted you in spite of past poor performance. Look at verse 7. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Your Bible may say just as Christ accepted you to the glory of God. In other words, he's saying when Christ accepted you, God got the glory. That when Christ accepted you, and we, we often turn this around. We're like, well, have you accepted Christ? Not even sure if that's a biblical concept. But Christ accepted us, and you received forgiveness of sin, and you became a Christian. That somehow the angels in heaven, when they saw that happen, it was kind of like, whoa, way to go, God. That somehow God got the credit for accepting you. Why would that be? He said, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. How could accepting you and accepting me, me bring God glory? Here's why. It's because accepting you and accepting me was way beyond the call of duty. See, we don't give people praise and glory for the things that we expect of them. Right? You, guys, your wife is never going to say to you, Honey, you finished your whole dessert. That's great. Way to go. Yeah, you, you ate a second piece of pie. Good job. My wife never says to me, you stayed up for that whole hockey game. I'm so proud of you. Here's an extra cookie. You know, I never, I, I, it's unbelievable. You watched another overtime game and stayed up to one o'clock. Great job. You don't get praise and glory for the things that are expected of you. You give praise and glory to the things that are like, wow, I can't believe you did that. And what he's alluding to here is so powerful. He's saying this, that when God accepted you through Christ, it's a way beyond the call of duty kind of thing. And we, when we don't live with a sense of awe about that, when we miss that, it's because we don't think we're all that bad. All right? I mean, we're church people. We weren't that bad. When God accepted me, he only had to like, reach down like maybe ankle level, right? 
God's way up here and like we're sinners. And he just kind of just kind of bent down there and kind of scooped us up and accepted me. But if we understood what the Old Testament is showing us, and if we understood what the New Testament teaches us, we'd understand that's not the picture. The idea that a holy, perfect God didn't just kind of like shrug his shoulders and forgive you. The fact that a perfect, holy God would receive you in spite of your poor, poor past performance is unbelievable. And we've lost our sense of awe about that. I'll tell you where you see it. In the book of Revelation, there's this great scene. John, who was one of Jesus' disciples, which means that he knew Jesus intimately, you know, the campfires and the meals, and the, he saw the walking on the water and the transfiguration. He saw all this stuff. Close, intimate friend of Jesus. He's one of the good guys, you know? We, know. we know what the good guy list looks like. There's Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, your grandmother, and, you know, and, and then John. He's like in the top echelon of the good guys. And in the book of Revelation, there's a scene where Jesus, his friend who he's been with, who he's rubbed shoulders with, Jesus shows up in his glory. That is in his holiness, in his perfection. And John's response is he falls down on the ground with his face in the dirt and he can't even look up at him, his friend, because suddenly John, a good guy, is overwhelmed with a sense of how holy and perfect God is and how sinful he is. What the scene does in Revelation is it paints a picture that God didn't just go down ankle level to lift us up and accept us. God went down way further than that he's, because he's a holy and perfect God. And by accepting you and receiving you, all of heaven goes, whoa, can you believe that? Unbelievable. It's unbelievable that God would do that. And the Apostle Paul says, I want you to overlook past performance and accept one another anyway. And for us as a church to apply that, we need to regain our sense of awe at the holiness and perfection of God and regain our sense of awe that he would receive people and take in sinners like us. That's unbelievable. And I'll tell you something I've observed, and your observations are probably similar. Some of the most accepting people I know are people who were at low, low lows when they met Jesus. I mean, they blitzed through you know, three, two or three or four marriages, they'd been in jail, they'd, you know, been through bankruptcy, they'd been in deep depression, they'd been through an illness, they'd been addicted to something, and they'd, whatever. I mean, humanly speaking, life had just come off the rails, and they considered themselves at a really, really low point, and then when they met Jesus, they were just overwhelmed with the unconditional love of God. These are the people who, in my experience, generally speaking, they maintain that sense of awe, and consequently, they're some of the most accepting people that we run into. And it doesn't really matter what I've done or what someone else has done. They're just so overwhelmed with the fact that God would receive me. And they live with that. And they, they do relationships with that sense. They're the most accepting people we know. Some of the most unaccepting people we know are people like me, who've grown up in the church, who've avoided all the big ones, the big sins, you know, that make great stories. I don't have an exciting story it's kind of, kind of boring. But the downside is there's a, a tendency for church people, people who've been raised in the church, to kind of develop this artificial sense of, you know, I'm here and you're there. I'm good and you're kind of bad. And yes, God extended grace to save me. Yeah, of course. But not as much grace as to save you. <laughs> like amazing grace for me is like lowercase a. For you, it's like all uppercase amazing grace. 
I think when God sees that attitude in me, he's like, you're so ignorant, Todd, to think that. And the reason you struggle with that is because you've lost your sense of perspective. You've lost your sense of awe. You don't know what it meant for the God of heaven to reach down and accept you in spite of your sin and poor performance. You may be one of those people who just can't, can't believe that God forgave you. And you're still like, whoo, God forgave me. And you're like annoying to people. You're just so aware of that. You know, it's like, okay, get over it. But you haven't gotten over it, and that's cool. And that's who you are because you just can't believe it. And maybe you, you just accept people based on that. But, or maybe, maybe you just accept people based on your understanding of acceptance. Maybe you accept people based on how you've been accepted by people. There's a powerful illustration in Philip Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace, which isn't a new book. It came out about 15 years ago. I think everyone in this room ought to read it. It, it changed my life. It could change yours. You ought to get on Amazon, smile right now, and buy it. I don't really care. Go ahead. It's fine with me. Yancey's, the title is What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey. He's talking about grace and forgiveness, and he says it's sort of like being on a mountain looking down into a valley. And us church people, we're sort of up on the mountain, and we look down in the valley. We've got a picture kind of, kind of like this. Uh, so that's what we kind of think, that's what we kind of think uh, grace and forgiveness is. And, and we're, we're up on the mountain looking down on those people and those sinners down in the valley. And we kind of have the sense that some people are holy and some people are unholy. Because from our perspective, the earth looks like this. But while we're standing up on the mountain looking down on people in the valley, God's on the, wherever God is in the, you know, some place we don't understand, but he's on, let's say he's on the edges of, the, of outer space. And to him, it looks like this. The earth looks like a perfectly big, smooth ball. And the Apostle Paul says, just as your Heavenly Father through Christ received you in spite of your past performance, you've got to receive and accept one another the same way. And a lot, of, a lot of objections come up in church circles and conversations about this. Because the first one is like, eh, what about sin? Got to talk about that. Got to have our list. You, you preach against that. You preach against this. You preach against that. What are the big ones? Got to identify that. Probably should be right in your statement of faith and your website. Because, you know, those people, I don't know, he, they got sin in their life. You deal with that sin, maybe I'll accept you. Maybe, maybe you wrestle with that. How do, you, how do you have high standards and yet accept one another? There's a tension there. If you spend any time in church at all and had conversations in church leadership circles, you know this tension exists. And the thing that's so wonderful is that if we really are a church that's concerned about sin in people's lives, now that, listen, if you're really concerned, you aren't just trying to come up with reasons not to let them in. If you're really concerned about behaviors that are destructive, let me tell you this. Acceptance is the optimal environment for change. We change in environments where we feel fully accepted. You know why? Because if I know you accept me, I will allow you to influence me. And if I'm not sure that you really accept me, then I'm not sure I can be open to your influence. It's why you probably didn't become a Christian the moment you heard you were a sinner. You probably became a Christian when you heard that God would accept you anyway. And yes, sin's an issue. I get that. And yeah, it's messy. And yeah, some people need to change some behavior. But the optimal environment, listen, to allow God to do that, because changing that behavior is not your responsibility. 
And the optimal environment to allow God to do that kind of changing in hearts and lives is in an environment of acceptance. That I accept you just the way that you are, where you are, in spite of your past poor performance, maybe in spite of, you know, your present poor experience or performance, maybe, you know, and, and, and the reason why I accept you is because I think of God accepting me in spite of my poor performance. So who am I to reject you? Especially in the context of a group of people in a New Testament church who say that our message is forgiveness. So the Apostle Paul says, I want you to accept one another. We don't need to dwell on the past. We don't need to throw that in someone's face. We don't need to make it an issue. Paul says, I never use that as an excuse not to accept you. Now, don't you use it as an excuse not to accept one another. So he goes on. He's, he's not just, it's not just learning to accept one another, regardless of past poor performance. He says, I want you to learn to actively accept. Look what he says in verse 8. We're still in Romans 15, Romans, verse 8. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews... On behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs may be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And then he quotes an Old Testament uh, passage talking about how Christ came for the Gentiles. And the first time you read that, you're like, you know, there's some verses missing, because what's he talking about now all of a sudden? Uh, here's what he's saying. What he's saying is, look, Jesus didn't sit up in heaven and just think accepting thoughts towards you. He wasn't sitting in heaven just feeling accepting he did something. He came to earth in the form of a servant. And he took these two groups that hated each other, first of all, the Jews and the Gentiles, and he went out and he served both of them. And he didn't just feel accepting feelings or think accepting thoughts. He went out and he served them. Why? To demonstrate that he was actively accepting them. And for the Jews, he fulfilled the Old Testament so that they could say, wow, he, he really is the Messiah. And for the Gentiles, he accepted them so that people would know that Christ is a Savior, not just of the Jews, but of the whole world. And he sent people to every nation of the, of the earth preaching the gospel so they could have eternal life and connect with their Heavenly Father. And Paul's point is this, that when it comes to accepting one another, it's not about thinking accepting thoughts and feeling accepting feelings. It's about what you do and about what you say. Because everybody in this room, we feel like we're accepting people. If I were to ask you if you're an accepting person, of course, you'd say, yes, you are. But you know what? Here's a newsflash. There are people in your life that don't feel accepted by you. This is even a bigger breaking news. There are people that don't feel accepted by me. Because it's not what you think and what you feel. It's about what you do and say. And biblically speaking, according to this passage, you have not really accepted until you have said and done the things that communicate acceptance. So it's like he's saying, church, I don't, I don't care what you think and feel because while you're still a sinner, Christ wasn't up in heaven thinking, accepting thoughts. While you're a sinner, Christ died for you. So church, if you're going to take seriously the mandate to accept one another, you got to get busy. you gotta, you got to say the things, do the things that communicate at the heart level. You know, not only do I feel things about you, I accept you. Because you know from your own experience, we feel most accepted by people who say things and do things, not just think things and feel things. Let me kind of give you a, a kickstart in, in moving toward uh, communicating acceptance in our relationships. I want to give you a list of words, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on any of them. We're going to blitz through this just for the sake of time. There are far more that, that we could add to this list, but I just want you to write these down if you want to. Or, and here's why this is so important. Because unlike forgiveness... Unlike some of the other things that we talk about around here, here's, here's one thing you can know at the end of the day, whether you've done it or not. 
At the end of the day, you can ask yourself, did I accept? Did I accept my wife today? Did I accept my husband today? Did I accept my boss today? Did I accept my employees today? Did I accept my kids today? Did I accept the people at church today? Because this has to do with so much more than what you think and feel. It has to do with what you say and do. So let me give you a list of words. And uh, the first one is the word help. Help. When you help me, you accept me. When you help someone, you're sending a message of, I care, you're important to me, so, and I accept you. Let me help you. Second word is encourage. When you encourage somebody, you're saying, I noticed. Way to go. You did a great job with that. I noticed that. When you encourage, that's acceptance. It's not just encouragement. It's deeper than that. Third word is the word ask. When you ask me about what's going on in my life, when someone asks about some detail in your life and they express genuine concern, you feel accepted. I'm sure there are women in this room who would just love for your husband to ask you about your day, right? Don't, no, don't respond to that. The way you try to get him to ask you about your day, what do you do? You ask him about his day, right? And he doesn't want to talk about his day. Kind of shuts that whole thing down. But guys, what she's saying is, ask me about mine. You should write that down. How was your day? We don't think of this in terms of acceptance and rejection. We never put those labels on it, but that's exactly what it is. When you ask, you're accepting. Fourth word is the word listen. When you listen, that's acceptance. That's why I feel most accepted in this setting by the people who stay awake for 40 minutes while I speak. When you don't listen, that's not acceptance. And, and some of us are like, well, I don't know. I'm just not a good listener. My father wasn't a good listener. His father wasn't a good listener. We, just, we aren't good listeners in our family. That's not an excuse. That's not acceptable. And this is about acceptance and rejection. And you think back to your own childhood, and if you had a good upbringing, it's because you felt like the people in your life and the adults in your life listen. And some of you as adults are still reeling from the fact that you could never get mom or dad's attention. And you didn't think of it in terms of acceptance and rejection back then, but that's exactly what it was. Next word is empathize. Do you know what to empathize is? To empathize is to accept someone else's feelings. I know some of you guys just just gagged a little. Uh, But when I, what are these feelings you speak of? To emphasize is to accept someone else's feelings. When I accept the way that you feel, I accept you. When you accept the way I feel, you accept me. This is why this work and home dynamic gets so strange sometimes because you get this person at work and they're like, oh, wow, that's incredible. I can't imagine how that must feel. That's unbelievable. Versus what goes on at home when you've got somebody you're always trying, who's always trying to like figure you out or fix you or teach you or coach you. And without ever knowing it, the people in your life who empathize with you are accepting and you feel that. And you may not label it as acceptance, but our hearts are drawn towards empathy those people who feel what we feel. There's nothing worse than somebody saying you shouldn't feel that way. Even if they're right, because someone saying you shouldn't feel that way is them saying your feelings are wrong. Quit feeling that. And when you reject my feelings, you're rejecting me. When I reject your feelings, I'm rejecting you. Last word is remember. 
If you want to make someone feel accepted, remember what they told you last time you talked. Remember the details and ask them about it. Remember what your kid says. Remember what your wife says. Remember what the guys at work say. Remember when they shared prayer requests in a small group or out in the lobby over coffee. Remember, because that's acceptance. When somebody remembers the details of our lives, we're just drawn in their direction. Probably another 50 words we could add to this. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, you know. You know whether or not you've helped anybody. You know whether or not you've encouraged anybody. You know whether or not you've asked anybody about this whole, you know, about what's going on in their life. You know whether or not you've listened. You know whether or not you've empathized with somebody. And you know if you've remembered. You just know. And at the end of the day, you can know whether you've communicated acceptance. And the Apostle Paul says that's what is to characterize this thing we call the body of Christ, the church. This is to be an accepting community in spite of poor performance, actively accepting one another. Now, if you really want to get to the bottom of this thing, maybe right, if you're going to have some people together today, maybe family, and you're going to get together, you're going to watch the game. Before the game, before you turn it on, maybe like five minutes before the game starts, sit down with your family or your spouse or your closest friends and ask two questions. What are the things that I do that really make you feel accepted? And then what are the things I do or say that make you feel pushed away? So I would suggest about 6.15 today when everybody's together and you're stuffing your faces. Have that. Don't do that. That would be a really bad idea, okay? Just don't do that at all. Uh, I'm just kidding. I just, we're at the end here and I want to make sure you're still with me um, because all the husbands are like, you have totally lost it, dude. Don't write that down. Erase all that. (laughs) get this text. I did that thing, Todd. I'm sleeping on the porch. It's kind of cold. (laughs) Can I crash at your place? Listen, my point is you and I need to tune into the people around us. And as you learn with family and as you learn at work and as you learn at church, it becomes a lifestyle. Because at the end of the day, you can know whether or not you've done this. So that's what it means to actively, to be actively accepted in spite of past poor performance. Now, I don't know everybody in the room. I don't know everybody's stories. Could be that the reason you dropped out of church somewhere in the past. How many of you dropped out of church at some point in your life? I'm just curious. Let me see. Wow. Yeah, see, you're not alone. It could be the reason for that. Maybe you bounced off years ago and you never went back. Or it could be that you're afraid that if the people in this church or any church knew about you and knew about your past or what you're into today or that that kind of thing, you're afraid that once they found out, then you'd bounce off. Let let me say this to you as a last word of encouragement, okay? Please, please, please don't run the risk of missing out on the acceptance of your Heavenly Father because of something that happened in the past in a church somewhere or because of something that you're afraid might happen in the future because that's a high, high price to pay. And I can't guarantee that in this church that you won't bounce off a few people. I can't guarantee that. But I can guarantee this. You have a Heavenly Father who loves you Regardless of your past performance, regardless of what you're into at this very moment, if you will allow him to, he would accept and receive you and and you get to receive his gift of forgiveness. Then I would hope that as a church, that we could be wherever we are, whether we're together in this setting or when we're dispersed in the community through the week, that we could be an extension of his feet and his hands as you learn and you grow in, in what it is to accept. 
growing up in a pastor's home, um, we had literally dozens of people um, stay in our homes over the years. Missionaries, evangelists, guest speakers, singers, college interns, choir members. This is what I remember. Some of them went to their rooms and stayed there. I always assumed they were praying. (laughs) Some of them uh, really just talked to other adults. But I remember others who talked with me, even played with me, played cars and Legos and Rubik's Cube. I mean, I had to teach them Rubik's Cube, let's be clear on that. (laughs) Yeah. I'll never, I'll never forget uh, teaching Billy Spear how to do Rubik's Cube. That was, that was a trip. I remember as a kid interacting with them in our home, and I can remember as a teenager in some cases thinking, I would love to be that kind of person. That when people are around me, they feel the same kind of acceptance that I feel right now. That my family would always feel that kind of acceptance and that my children would always feel that kind of acceptance. And the Apostle Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, church, that's your goal. That's what you're to shoot for. You're to be a church that's characterized by accepting one another in spite of past poor performance and actively accepting one another. Here's a type of church we're supposed to be. Okay, ready? Get ready. Ready? Ready? They aren't ready. You guys ready? You ready? You ready? You ready? See what's happening? There's four people over there with their hands up. They're ready. They get it. They understood the illustration. You guys ready? Are you ready out there? Hey, all right. Nice job. Okay, you get to redeem yourself. Ready? Oh, that. See? So you're going to... Eventually, eventually, yes. See, right? Not, you, that's why you got to hang with it. Maybe you may not be accepted right away, so Lisa might reject you initially, but eventually she will accept you. She'll pick up off the floor. Um, so you, this illustration isn't perfect. The Apostle Paul says, as people come in, before they're asked any questions, before you know anything about them, they're to experience this kind of love and acceptance because that's exactly what God did when he came your way. He reached out and he received you in spite of everything that he knew about you. I'll tell you one thing I do know about you, that you like being treated that way, don't you? All of us do. So let's do that for other people. Let's be a church that's characterized not by great music, not by great teaching, although it is great. Not by, not, every other week, right, Dad? Not by an active children's program or whatever, okay? Let's be characterized by, man, when, when you're with that group, you just feel like you're home. You just feel like you belong. Let's do and say the things that communicate acceptance. Listen to the song. We are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord, we are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord, and we pray that our unity may one day be restored, and they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love, yes they'll know we are Christians by our each other we 
Bowing here. 